Chapter 102 Leaving this place we came to a settlement known as Milestre, where it is said that one known as the Old Man of the Mountain dwelled, and he built over high mountains surrounding a valley a very thick and high wall in a circuit of thirty miles, and it was entered by two doors, and they were hidden, cut into the mountain. Odorico da Pordenone, de Rebus Incognitis, Impressus Isauri, 1513, Roman 21, page 15. One day at the end of January, as I was walking along Via Marchese Gualdi, where I had parked my car, I saw Salon coming out of Minutius. A little chat with my friend Allier, he said to me. Friend? As I seem to recall from the Piedmont party, Allier was not fond of him. Was Salon snooping around Minutius, or was Allier using him for some contact or other? Salon didn't give me time to ponder this. He suggested a drink, and we ended up at Pilade's. I had never seen Salon in this part of town, but he greeted old Pilade as if they had known each other for years. We sat down. He asked me how my history of magic was progressing. So he knew about that, too. I prodded him about the hollow earth theory and about Sabatendorf, the man Belbo had mentioned. He laughed. You people certainly draw your share of madmen. I'm not familiar with this business of the earth being hollow. As for Sabatendorf, now there was a character— he gave Himmler and company some ideas that were suicidal for the German people. What ideas? Oriental fancies. That man, wary of the Jews, ended up worshipping the Arabs and the Turks. Did you know that on Himmler's desk, along with Mein Kampf, there was always the Koran? Sabatendorf, fascinated in his youth by an occult Turkish sect, began studying Islamic Gnosis. He said Führer, but thought Old Man of the Mountain. When they all got together and founded the SS, they had in mind an organization like the Assassins. Ask yourself why Germany and Turkey in the First World War were allies. How do you know these things? I told you, I think, that my poor father worked for the Okrana. Well, I remember in those days how the Tsarist police were concerned about the Assassins. Rakovsky got wind of it first, but they gave up that trail because if the Assassins were involved, then the Jews couldn't be, and the Jews were the danger. As always, the Jews went back to Palestine and made those others leave their caves. But the whole thing is complicated, confused. Let's leave it at that. He seemed to regret having said so much, and hastily took his leave. Then another thing happened. I'm now sure I didn't dream it, but that day I thought it was a hallucination. As I watched Salon walk away from the bar, I saw him meet a man at the corner, an Oriental. In any case, Salon had said enough to start my imagination working again. The old man of the mountain and the assassins were no strangers to me. I had mentioned them in my thesis. The Templars were accused of being in collusion with them. How could we have overlooked this? So I began exercising my mind again and my fingertips, going through old card files, and an idea came to me, an idea so spectacular that I couldn't restrain myself. The next morning I burst into Belbo's office. They got it all wrong. We got it all wrong. Take it easy, Kasabin. What are you talking about? Oh, my God, the plan. Then he hesitated. You probably don't know. There's bad news about Dio Tulevi. He won't speak. I called the hospital, but they refused to give me the particulars because I'm not a relative. The man doesn't have any relatives, so who is there to act on his behalf? I don't like this reticence. A benign growth, they say, but the therapy wasn't enough. 
he should go back into the hospital for a month or so, and minor surgery may be indicated. In other words, those people aren't telling me the whole story, and I like this situation less and less. I didn't know what to say. Embarrassed by my triumphal entry, I started leaping through papers, but Belbo couldn't resist. He was like a gambler who's been shown a pack of cards. Oh, what the hell, he said. Life goes on, unfortunately. What did you find? Well, Hitler goes to all that trouble with the Jews, but he accomplishes nothing. Occultists throughout the world for centuries have studied Hebrew, rummaged in Hebrew texts, and at most they can draw a horoscope. Why? Hmm, because the Jerusalemites' fragment of the message is still hidden somewhere, though the Paulicians' fragment never turned up either, as far as we know. That's an answer worthy of Allier, not of us. I have a better one. The Jews have nothing to do with it. What do you mean? The Jews have nothing to do with the plan. They can't. Picture the situation of the Templars, first in Jerusalem, then in their commanderies in Europe. The French knights meet the Germans, the Portuguese, the Spanish, the Italians, the English. They all have contacts with the Byzantine area, and in particular they combat the Turk, an adversary with whom they fight but also maintain a gentlemanly relationship, a relationship of equals. Who were the Jews at that time in Palestine? A religious and racial minority, tolerated by the condescending Arabs, but treated very badly by the Christians. We must remember that in the course of the various crusades the ghettos were sacked as a matter of course, and there were massacres all around. Is it conceivable that the Templars, snobs that they were, would exchange mystical information with the Jews? Never. And in the European commanderies the Jews were considered usurers, were despised, people to be exploited, not trusted. We're talking about an alliance of knights, about a spiritual knighthood. Would the Templars of Provins allow second-class citizens to join that? Out of the question. But what about all that Renaissance magic, the study of Kabbalah? Well, that was only natural. By then we're close to the third meeting. They're champing at the bit, looking for shortcuts. Hebrew is a sacred and mysterious language. The Kabbalists have been busy on their own and to other ends. The thirty-six scattered around the world got the idea that a mysterious language might conceal God knows what secrets. It was Pico della Mirandola who said that nulla nomina ut significativa et in quantum nomina sunt, in magico opere virtutum habere non possunt, nisi sint hebraica. Pico della Mirandola was a Cretan. Bravo, now you're talking. Furthermore, as an Italian, he was excluded from the plan. What did he know? So much the worse for Agrippa, Reuchlin, and their pals who fell for that red herring. I'm reconstructing the story of a red herring, a false trail, is that clear? We let ourselves be influenced by Dio Talevi, who was always cabalizing. He cabalized, so we put the Jews in the plan. If he had been a scholar of Chinese culture, would we have put the Chinese in the plan? Maybe we would have. Anyway, let's not rend our garments. We were led astray by everyone. They all, from Postel on, probably made this mistake. Two hundred years after Provins, they were convinced that the sixth group was the Jerusalemites. It wasn't. Anyway, let's not rend our garments. We were led astray by everyone. They all, from Postel on, probably made this mistake. Two hundred years after Provins, they were convinced that the sixth group was the Jerusalemites. It wasn't. Look, Kassabin, we were the ones who revised Ardenti's theory. We were the ones who said that the appointment of the rock didn't mean Stonehenge, but the rock in the Mosque of Omar. And we were wrong. There are other rocks. We should have thought of a place founded on rock, on a mountain, a stone, a spur, a cliff. The sixth group awaits in the fortress of Alamut.